Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to day 28 of 31 Days of Terror and I have three spooky stories for you today and story number one comes from Amanda. My grandma, my mom, one of my sisters and I all have some sensitivity to the paranormal and even those who are not sensitive to it all have a fascination with the paranormal. For example, my brother and I would stay up super late blocking out any light from entering the living room just to watch ghost adventures while simultaneously making fun of Zach Bagan's dramatics. Every Saturday night when I would come home from college, we would do this. Ever since I was little, we have always had some sort of ghost attached to us. My mom would say she would hear me talking to myself when I was little and playing alone. And while that may have been an imaginary friend or just me playing by myself, I can never be sure if I was actually alone during those times or not. We have also had attachments of a family friend that had died suddenly and tragically. A little girl that looked as if she had died when they were still placing coins over the dead people's eyes, as well as multiple other ghosts that had usually never caused any issues for us. But this story is about none of them. My story actually took place between March and May during the state lockdown in Missouri. Due to the rise of COVID in my hometown, I was forced to move out of my college dorm and back home. And since I usually live with my mom and she was currently between houses, I moved in with my dad until I could move back in with my mom. I should note that I have always had difficulty sleeping due to insomnia as well as vivid dreams when I did sleep, but both got significantly worse once I started staying there. My dad had moved into this house about two years ago and I had never stayed the night there, especially due to the increased feeling of anxiety I got every time I'd gone into the basement and to my luck, that's where the room I was staying at was. Given that I have anxiety, I never really thought too much about it, and just played it off as my stress levels being really high due to the sudden virus that was spreading through the states. But my anxiety would get so high to the point that my chest was in constant pain, I felt like I couldn't breathe, and I would have multiple anxiety attacks or mental breakdowns a week without any relief from it. After a few nights of staying there, I started struggling to comfortably fall asleep. I would toss and turn for hours on end until about 4 or 5 in the morning before finally falling asleep, and I would only get an hour of sleep before waking up once again. This was routine off and on until I moved in at my mom at the beginning of May. When I did manage to sleep for more than an hour, 
I would be stuck in incredibly vivid nightmares of being chased or attacked and sometimes almost killed, but I never saw a consistent attacker. The person chasing me always changed, and I'd always managed to stick to my fears, whether that be clowns, knives, etc. It got to the point that I would pretty much never sleep, or to the point that I would keep my bedroom light on with Netflix playing in order to keep my mind awake just so that I could try to sleep during the daytime. It was brutal. I feel like we all know that feeling of being watched, but I cannot express the feeling of being stalked by someone you can't see. After a week or so, I felt like I was constantly being followed around the house. I would go upstairs in the middle of the night to get a snack, and I would always feel like something was right behind me watching my every move. And in order to avoid seeing something, I made sure to turn on every light I could to prevent any excess darkness from showing my stalker. In late April, I was trying to fall asleep. It was probably two in the morning. I had tried turning my light off for the first time in weeks to try and sleep, but I still had Netflix going to allow some sound and light to prevent my brain from creating anything from exhaustion. I had my eyes closed and was laying on my side when I suddenly heard, You! in a sort of whisper yell tone and in a deep, gruff voice. My eyes shot open and I quickly sat up in bed and moved back until my back hit the headboard. My knees pulled up to my chest as tears started forming in my eyes. Never in my life had something said something so loudly and aggressively to me before. Not only that, but when I heard the voice, I had a clear and distinct image of a man pop into my head. He was a large man, more on the muscular side, with short, dirty blonde hair and stubble running along his chin. While his clothing had faded from my memory now, I believe it looked like some sort of combat gear, but I can't be sure. To me, he kind of reminded me of a G.I. Joe action figure my brother would play with when we were little. After that, I frantically called my mom, knowing she'd likely answer and calm me down. She had called my sister who was living with us while her and her boyfriend were waiting to move into a house together. My sister came into my room and talked with me to calm me down even more, and decided to sleep in my room with me so I wouldn't be alone. She fell asleep quickly, claiming my bed was more comfortable than hers, and I was wide awake, staring at a dark ceiling, having no idea what to do until I either fell asleep or the sun rose. I'd played on my phone for a couple of hours before my sister woke up and told me to try and sleep. At that point, it was already four or five in the morning, and the sun was starting to peek over the hill that my bedroom window looked out of, so I put my phone down and tried to sleep. I think that night I'd gotten roughly two hours of sleep at best, and ended up staying the whole day in bed, just dying from exhaustion. After that, my dad, a big see-it-to-believe-it guy, set up a camera in my room to try and capture anything, and nothing else happened. In fact, activity in my room stopped after that, and I think the ghost was mad at the fact that we were trying to capture him on camera. In fact, I'm almost positive he had moved from my room to my sister's room, which was right down the hall, and since she was about to move out, she was either there or at her boyfriend's, so she didn't have to acknowledge it a whole lot. I cannot remember if this happened at the end of April or the beginning of May, but it was not too long after the night that the ghost talked to me. 
but I needed to shoot a documentary type short film for my video production class and my sister and her boyfriend agreed to help. I had met up with them at her boyfriend's house to shoot his parts as well as some clips with his dog that had passed not long after. I was getting the camera set up as I was talking with my sister and her boyfriend about what had recently happened and my sister mentioned a nightmare she had had that same night when she was sleeping in my room. A man had chased her from my room all the way upstairs. I asked her if she remembered what he looked like and she described the exact same man that had appeared in my head when I heard him speak in my ear. Given that we are fond of the paranormal, we did find it kind of exciting to both have seen the same man without either of us ever mentioning it before. Thankfully, a couple of weeks later, I started sleeping on the floor in my mom's apartment, and a week later, we were moving into our new house. I haven't been back to my dad's any time recently since I've been back to school, due to my dad being at higher risk. But every time I'm in my room or my sister's room, or even in that general part of the basement at his house, I can feel myself being watched, and I can sense that strong energy that gives me so much anxiety. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And story number two comes from Anonymous. I'd always been sceptical about all things paranormal, and despite enjoying the occasional horror film, I never factored it into my life in any way. Soon, however, that would change. That was before I began working at the Priory. Whilst I've been thinking about this and what happened to me, I felt my heart quicken and my throat close up with anxiety. But I think it's important that I tell you all what happened. I was in my third and final year at university in a small city in the UK. The city was your average small city with a large student base, small venues and an active nightlife. Wednesday was the night to be out and the place to be out was the Priory. With its one pound pints and vodka cokes, the Priory was a haven for a broke student. It would also become my place of work. Starting initially as bar staff, I was quickly promoted rushed through my licensing exams and started working as the assistant manager of the venue. This would mean that I was responsible for cashing up, checking stock and locking the venue up at around 3am. The Priory was an old church that had been converted into a pub which was set on the corner of a main road. It still had its original large oak doors. As you entered you were confronted with a large space filled with tables a long bar down one side and a dance floor 
which was once where the pews had sat. Where the pulpit once had been sat the entrance to the toilets and the back entrance to the staff smoking area. The entire venue was encircled by a large gallery above, which patrons reveled in sitting in, watching sports on the big screen projector on the wall of the venue. To get to the staff office, which is where I would cash up on a night, you would have to unlock two large doors at the back end of the upstairs gallery. The first time I went up into the office to sign my initial contract, I noticed that there was a large hole in the foam ceiling tiles that led only to complete darkness. I commented on it to my boss at the time, and she told me it had been there as long as she had, and to try and never look directly into it. I recognised that this was a slightly odd thing for her to say, but I didn't really think anything of it. After working in the pub for a few weeks, other staff members began to tell me of the odd things that had happened to them in the venue. I didn't really take them seriously, although some of the stories slightly raised the hairs on the back of my neck. One story in particular about the church cellar, now the beer cellar, and the suspicious holes in its floor, holes we could only assume existed to aid in bombing, gave me the jitters, but I decided that I would remain wholly sceptical until I saw something myself. Now, knowing what I know, that attitude feels slightly like I was tempting fate. Two things happened to me at the Priory. This happened six years ago, and these events still feel as fresh in my mind as the day that they happened. One evening, my colleagues and I were sitting around having a drink after the shift. It must have been around 1am, as we'd had quite a slow Tuesday. I was excited to get home as I knew I had a 9am lecture, but was convinced to stay by my manager who was always up for a drink. Suddenly, we all started to hear footsteps on the gallery above us. We knew that there was nobody in the venue apart from us, as security had done a sweep before we shut up shop. The footsteps were light, like a child's. They sounded soft-shod, almost as if whoever it was was walking on bare feet. They were rhythmic, and we could all hear them moving around the gallery above us in a circle. We all looked at each other in complete disbelief. Suddenly, the footsteps broke into a run. It sounded as if there was a child running in circles barefoot on the gallery above us. My heart was quite literally in my ears at that point. Then, as suddenly as the running had started, it stopped. One of my colleagues volunteered to go upstairs to the gallery and check that nobody was there. And nobody was there. That was the first time I had heard the running but it wouldn't be the last. Every few weeks the running would start up again. I was never too scared. Whatever was running on the gallery seemed to be playing. There was absolutely no malice at all. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said for the other experience I had at the Priory. Now, I mentioned the office space before. The one with the hole in the ceiling. I also mentioned that my manager had told me never to look directly into the hole in the ceiling. Maybe it's because my manager had planted that seed of discomfort in my mind, but I always felt uneasy in the office. I would try and convince another member of staff to come up with me to cash up at the end of the shift, usually under the guise of the till trays being too heavy for me to carry alone. I felt inexplicably drawn to the hole in the ceiling, and despite my manager's warnings had, regrettably, had a little look inside. 
I'd also heard noises coming from the ceiling, but had explained those away as coming from mice or maybe nesting birds. Once, I thought I'd seen a shadow lurking in the darkness of the hole, but it was around 3am, so again I brushed it off and decided that more sleep and less Red Bull would be beneficial to my well-being. It must have been around March time. It was still very cold. The Priory retained no warmth at all. It wasn't too late either, maybe around 1.30 or 2am. There were only two staff members left in the venue, me and my colleague Haley, who was scrubbing down the bar and loading and reloading the dishwasher. I closed off both tills, took out both till trays, piled them up and began carrying them up the staircase. I remember feeling uneasy, but I couldn't pinpoint why. Balancing the till trays, I carefully entered the code for the first door. I could hear rustling coming from the office. Again balancing the trays, I entered the code for the second door. I pushed the door open with my hip and entered the office. I couldn't help but look at the hole in the ceiling as I realised that it was where the rustling was coming from. It was then that I had the absolute displeasure of seeing four long fingers knotted at the knuckles, which were jet black and covered with short hairs like spider's legs, unfurl and drag themselves back into the hole in the ceiling. I dropped both till trays on the floor, spilling pound coins and notes all over the office, turned around, undid the automatic latch, my chest pounding and my breath wild, pushed the bar on the second door down and ran at speed down the steep steps to the office. In the next hour, Haley would try to calm me down and would call my boyfriend at the time who arrived quickly. I tried to explain to them what I had seen, but although the image of the fingers was on constant repeat in my mind, I didn't seem to be able to get the words out to describe it. I couldn't tell them what I'd seen, but I managed to calm myself down long enough to go back upstairs with my boyfriend and count the till money. Not once did I look back up at that hole in the ceiling. I felt intense discomfort the whole time as if the thing I'd seen was just waiting, lurking in the darkness. The next day I arrived at work, daunted by the idea that I'd have to go back into the office. My manager approached me as soon as I entered the building. She said that Haley had messaged her the night before, unsure of what to do. My manager looked at me straight in the eyes and asked me if I'd seen it. I nodded, unable to speak. I was horrified that my manager had seen the same knotted knuckles that I had seen, and I was horrified that what I had seen hadn't been tiredness or a trick of the light, and that she had seen it too. I felt the blood rush into my ears, and my heart rate quicken as my manager said to me, You know, if you just don't look in the hole, it will leave you alone. And story number three comes from Brandon. I'm a 42-year-old former US Marine from South Carolina, a state, as you may know, that is saturated with history and stories of the paranormal. I've had numerous experiences throughout my life, a lot of which I hope to share with you. I thought I'd start with this one because while not exactly a ghost story, I think you'll find it interesting. I'm a self-taught blacksmith and leather craftsman, two hobbies that I stumbled into almost 20 years ago. 
flash back to the year 1998. I was stationed in Washington, D.C. as a marcher for parades, funerals, ceremonies at the White House and the Pentagon, etc. It was Saturday afternoon in the spring. I was taking a nap and I experienced a dream so incredibly vivid I remember it to this day in detail. While I've always believed in the paranormal due to numerous experiences, I had never until that day given any credence to the idea of reincarnation. The dream began with me standing in an art gallery looking at a massive painting. The painting had to be somewhere around 18 feet wide and about 8 feet tall. The snow scene I was looking at was that of a split rail fence running from one side of the painting to the other. Beyond that fence was a forest. In the distance, creeping stealthily through the trees, are an unknown number of British redcoats and two Native Americans, advancing towards the fence as if trying to creep towards an ambush. On my side, the painting observer's side of the fence, there are seven militia men crouched down, dressed in various articles of civilian clothing of the time. I noticed three of the militia men are peering intently through the snow-covered split logs of the fence towards the oncoming regulars. A few of the men are loading their muskets. I remember paying close attention to the man just left of centre and noticing how the artist had perfectly captured the small details of the folds in the trousers as he knelt down, the fear in the man's eyes and, despite the cold, the nervous sweat on his brow. I will add that I was completely alone in the gallery staring at the painting and was startled at hearing the distant roar of a musket firing. In an instant I was inside the scene. It was no longer a painting. It was as real as life is as I'm writing this. I noticed the freezing cold of the snow as I was kneeling now beside the man that I was just looking at. I also noticed that I'm not dressed like the militiamen. I'm wearing what I was wearing in the art gallery. Lightweight khaki trousers and a grey t-shirt. I registered the look of surprise on the man's face as he is trying to cope with the increasing sound of British muskets and the sudden appearance of me beside him. Incoming shots increase as the British advance towards us and the militia men try to fire and load as fast as they can. I hear the sickening thud of a musket ball hitting the chest of the man to my right and the splatter of warm blood on my cheek and my neck. At this point I'm shaking from the cold and the fear. I peer through the fence as the regulars are almost upon us and a ball strikes the fence beside my face, spraying snow into my left eye and stinging terribly. As I'm falling backwards into the snow, I see one of the Native Americans leap over the fence directly towards me with a tomahawk held high and arching down towards my face. My last thought, before he actually landed on me, was how unpleasant it was to feel the cold, wet snow soaking through the back of my shirt. And I woke up on my couch. The part that scared me to death was when I woke up, I immediately noticed that not only was I freezing and covered in goosebumps, but my left eye was stinging and watering like crazy. It's probably easy to write that off as just a really intense dream, but I can't answer to the extreme physical reactions I experienced upon waking up. Many years later I learned from a distant uncle about the huge number of ancestors we have that fought as militiamen and continental soldiers during the revolution. 
He then talked about the unusually large number of blacksmiths in our family, dating back to the pre-revolution times. I was surprised to hear this, as this particular uncle was not aware of my interest in blacksmithing. I was really floored when he said he had found records that indicated one of my great-grandfathers was assigned to the militia unit of General Francis Marion as the chief saddlemaker and leathersmith. As to the veracity of these claims, I've yet to see the family history myself, yet I've no reason to believe he would have made any of that up. That dream has haunted me for years. It is still as fresh in my mind as it was the moment I woke up. Years later, that dream, coupled with my inexplicable interest in smithing and a few other things, has made me question whether reincarnation could possibly be real. I can't explain the weird pull the revolutionary past has on me. Though I don't understand it, I find myself more and more convinced that it could be possible. Thank you to Amanda, Anonymous and Brandon for your stories and thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to send in your own story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.